0: Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to be set apart. Who's heard that phrase before? What it means to be set apart. So, I believe that it should be a standard, a natural desire as a believer to want to be used by God. Amen? Who would sit there in your heart of hearts believing that we serve the God of the universe would say, I want to be used by God. I as an individual. Raise your hand, seriously. If that is a true desire of your heart where you say, I want to be used by God. But to be used by God is going to cause you, listen to this, when you decide to do that, you are going to look different, you're going to act different, and you're going to talk different than everybody else. So here is a real question for you today that I want you to think about. Are you ready for the scrutiny? Can you handle not fitting in? These are serious questions because i got to tell you, when I was a teenager and I was starting to discover who I was, it was all about fitting in. It was all about looking like everyone else, acting like everyone else, being a part of the crowd. (coughs) As I go through scripture, I see example after example after example of people being called out from the crowd to stand out, to be different. If you were to look at Noah, let's let's read for a moment Genesis 6, 7 through 8. Let's look at Noah. Noah. It says, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. God's just sick of what he's seeing on the face of the earth. And he goes, I'm sorry I ever made it. I'm sorry I ever made them. Verse 8, but Noah found favor with God. Okay, So Noah, what he did was he acted different. And here's the interesting thing. God told him this, or, or, or this all started about 120 years before God actually flooded the earth. So for 120 years, God was preparing. He had lamented that he ever made, ever created everything. And he takes his time. He doesn't just do it immediately, right? And so imagine in all the years it took Noah to build the ark, the things that were said to him. There had never been flooding on the earth. Nothing like the ark had ever been built, and he became a mockery, but he had to trust God. So God gives this 120-year countdown to the flood, and Noah starts building the ark once all his sons were married, is what Scripture tells us. And so there was some 55 to 75 years where it took him just to build it, okay? Okay? So imagine you are Noah, you have heard from God, you are building this ark and trying to walk confidently in your faith and seeing it through despite the many years and the scrutiny to truly stand out. Consider the prophet Elijah. Elijah was renowned and so if we look through history, we, we think about this huge pillar of the faith and everything he did for the cause of Christ. But in Elijah's day, he was not well-received. He was not well-received. He was not well-liked. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and I'm going to read verse 5. <coughs> it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give word. Then he goes on, verse 5. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kereth Brook, east of the Jordan. He had to hide out because after he spoke this into existence, the Lord basically said, now they're going to want to kill you so I have to hide you. Now a year later, he presented himself to the king and noted (coughs) that he was the only representative prophet for the Lord on the face of the earth at that time. And there were 450 prophets of Baal at that same time. And so Elijah what he had to have during that time was a special strength from the Lord to stand against the opposition of the enemy. Here's the thing about this man, he even appeared different. Listen to 2 Kings 1:8. It says they replied, "He was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Elijah from Tishbe the king exclaimed, Here's the thing about Elijah, even though he appeared different, he acted different, he ate different, Elijah was sent at a time to call people back to the Lord in power. As divisive as it was, God was doing a work. Listen to 1 Kings 18 20 through 21. It says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Elijah, what he was doing was he was drawing this line in the sand. He's saying, You've seen God act. And now is the time for you to decide who you are going to serve. That was the message he was bringing to the people. In this, it didn't please the crowd. Moses' brother Aaron, on the other hand, he chose the path of pleasing the crowd and created that golden image of that calf, right? And so instead of calling their hearts toward God, he was responsible for steering them away. And it's amazing to me that Elijah was notable. He never died. God returned, took him up in a fiery chariot right up to heaven. Another example, John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, his ministry was to prepare the way of the Lord. (laughs) He was ushering in Jesus' ministry in the same vein as Elijah. Elijah. It says in Luke 1, 17, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, just like Elijah, his appearance and his way of living was different This guy, he wore camel's hair for clothing. He ate locust and wild honey. So John wasn't propped up to any position of prominence for his obedience on the earth because we know that if you keep reading in Scripture, John was killed for his obedience. Right? Paul the Apostle, our last scriptural example. Before he became Paul, his name was Saul and he killed Christians. That's what he did. And then he's on the road to Damascus and he's blinded and as a sign of God's grace, God called him out and said, you are now going to serve me. So he dedicates himself to the work of the Lord and he writes over half the New Testament, has three missionary journeys. But even in all that, as much as we prop Paul up and we think about what this huge pillar of the faith he is, he was called by God to suffer. Listen to Acts 9, 15 through 16. It says, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul, you know, if, if you want to go on and read it, you can. He, he details how much he suffered in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he had to defend his ministry amongst his peers time and time and time again. You know, even Paul, he died believing he didn't win over the people. He wasn't as effective as he actually was as we look back through history. But he did die acknowledging he followed the will of the Lord. The Americanized idea of success versus God's idea of success, completely different. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Church, you have to prepare your heart for it. You have to erase those perceptions of what it means to be successful because we take that worldview and we apply it to our faith. It's not reality. We as believers, we are to be set apart so our lives are supposed to look different than the world. And so my examples that I just gave, I don't want us to be discouraged in our calling and serving God, but I want to erase those misconceptions about how we'll be received by others for what it is we believe. There are 119 verses in Scripture about being set apart. Hundred and nineteen, And it means to separate, to keep for a special purpose, or to make someone seem distinctive. And in Scripture, there are two uses for being set apart. <clears throat> God instills singular purpose in you, where he has set you apart, or it is used as a command for us to be separate and be different. Okay? And so when I choose to recognize that God sent his son specifically for me, I also embrace that he has a special purpose distinctively for me. Now, do you believe that? In your heart of hearts, if you were to examine your own faith and that God is a God for you, that he has particularly created you, and he has a distinct purpose for you. Do you believe it? So if you're saying amen, God has called you out, he has a specific purpose for you, and he has set you apart. He's set you apart. But also, check this out. Embrace what God has for you. To embrace it, you have to separate yourself from worldly thinking, the worldly path that you were on, and begin a new trajectory of being different. Everyone in here say, new trajectory. New trajectory. So that means that you are saying, okay, at the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ, everything in my life is changing. It's on a different path. It's on a different direction. In fact, Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and. What? It's perfect. I would venture to say, without God, there is nothing in your life that is perfect. Even the things that feel perfect eventually go wrong. Okay? Now, to not copy the behavior and customs of this world does not mean that it's time to break out the camel's hair parka and start eating locusts and wild honey. Although I'm telling you, some of the countries I visit, those things are options. I choose not to partake. But if we choose to recognize whether or not what we are doing brings a worldly value or an eternal value, that's when we will see our perspectives change. Your relationship with the world and worldly things should change when you discover Jesus, it should change. First John 2.15, listen to what John says. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Whew. That's strong. That's a strong statement to say that if you love the world and you love worldly things, then you do not have the love of the Father. This doesn't imply, I want you to catch this, this does not imply God does not love you. It's saying you don't have an expression of God's love in your life if you love the world. That's what it's saying. I want you to check this out. I I almost debated not putting this in there because because you have to understand what I'm coming from in the realm of everything we're talking about. God is not concerned about the things of the world. He's concerned about souls. That's his concern. And we can go on and say, well, you know, God, God made this creation and everything in it, and so obviously he cares for it, and he does care for it. But He's going to destroy it one day. So, God is concerned about souls. So, when you discover the heart of the Father, your concerns should become the same as his. That's not by a snap of a finger. That doesn't just happen immediately. It is a process of changing your mindset to focus on things that are eternal versus things that are temporary. Now, I believe our lives display what we treasure. You spend a significant amount of time with someone, you're going to get a really good idea of what they treasure by what they talk about. Now, I believe that can change. We can change that, amen? We can change our speech. We can change what we think on. And we need to. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. But to bring about that kind of change in your life, there needs to be action in your life to change it. I'm going to say some things that uh, are going to ruffle feathers. But who knows? Sometimes we're really good at talking. Seldom are we good at acting. Right? Can we accept that? We're really good at saying what we're going to do. We're having intentions. Tomorrow's New Year's Day. There are people that make New Year's resolutions and I think they can be one of the greatest things if you follow through, right? How many people fall off, like they they make a a New Year's resolution for physical exercise and they fall off within the first month. Not even a 12th of the year through and they don't make it, right? Right? And so we can acknowledge that we are so good at talking, but we're so terrible at acting sometimes. I want you to hear this. God has already called you to be set apart, but that is activated by what you do. It's activated by what you do. And so things that you need to commit to, And you need to think about. Commit to learning about the Lord. To truly learn. That takes discipline. It's not you saying, Holy Spirit, just download it in my brain. See, that's the problem with Pentecostals sometimes. Pentecostals think so much about what the Holy Spirit can impart that they're not willing to do the work. Seriously. Seriously. You've got to commit to reading your Bible. It's not just going to magically appear up here. I realistically understand that most of what I say is not retained from this pulpit. And I also understand that what I choose to put up on the screen, if I say it at the same time, will be retained a little bit more, but we're still talking less than 50%. That's a reality. And so by what you commit to on a day-to-day basis is so important, it is so vital. So you should commit to Bible reading. You should commit to joining one of our discipleship classes. Now this is where I'm going to step on toes. There is nothing that ruffles my my feathers, feathers a little bit more Than people who continually show up before nine o'clock and don't go to one of our classes. That needs to change. And you can say, you know what, man? They're not really teaching on anything that interests me. You know what? If I'm talking about my flesh nature, there's a lot of things in Scripture like, no, Lord, that doesn't interest me. You know, turn the page on that one. It is all for our reproof. Right? It is all for our reproof. And so I am the imperfect one here. God is the perfect one. And we are all, even our teachers, everyone in this place is imperfect. But if we seek the word of God together, if we challenge each other on a day-to-day basis, that's a part of doing life with one another, then we will have the opportunity to grow. Commit to studying outside of here. You guys hearing me? You have to. Develop a plan. Get devotionals. Do something that puts you to work. Prayer. Something worth committing to. Be purposeful in your prayer. Have a plan when you're going into prayer. Don't just say, well, I guess I should pray here and take five minutes to do this. You're going to be scratching your head after 30 seconds if you don't have a plan. Fast. Fast is a physical discipline. It is bringing your body into subjection. To saying, God, I'm showing you this is more important. Things of the Spirit. Our action today is we have a 40-day fast. We're going to start tomorrow. And there's a sign up at the back. But I'll talk about that more in a minute. There's the things worth renouncing. Imagine if you chose... To distance yourself from people who openly reject the things of God. Some relationships, and this pains me to say it, for those who openly reject the things of God, those relationships are not worth hanging on to. That might not sound Christian, I'm telling you, though, it's biblical. Remove things from your life that cause you to sin. Pastor, what could that be? Immediately we go to all sorts of things that is blatant sin. But Satan poses himself as a messenger of light. So there are a lot of things that appear good but lead you down a path of destruction. So you're going to have to use your prayer life, crying out to the Holy Spirit, to reveal to you the things that are leading you down the wrong path. Then this last one is going to be even harder. Walk away from the things that draw you into a worldly perspective, not an eternal Listen, guys, at the root of it, we're, in, in our minds, we're not talking things that on the surface seem sinful, but we're talking about things that draw our hearts away from God, right? So, what does that cause us to do in our own soul? We need to commit to these things in word and action. It is not good enough us to just say we're going to do it I've seen times where the altars are full no growth no spiritual growth we can react out of emotion but if we don't commit it in our daily lives it's all for naught don't you understand I can do so many things out of emotion but you know what emotions change I believe one of the most important actions in bringing about change, though, is public confession and admission for change. Finding someone to openly share with what you are committing to change in your life. That's important because it brings about accountability, it helps us live up to expectations. I think that's important. And that we are being purposeful in enacting change, and that is going to open up the door for us to be more like Christ. You have to do the work, though. You know, as hard as it is, setting ourselves apart from the world is good. It's good. The world might look at you differently. You might carry labels that are not that kind. To God, it doesn't matter. And we know that all of that other stuff is temporary. I believe in the coming year, there's going to be greater challenges than we've ever seen. I think the first Election in my lifetime where there are more question marks than ever before. That's going to be this year. I think about the divisiveness in our country and the wars and rumors of wars. And I just think, God, your people, even your people here in the U.S., we're we're so lost. And we need to set on the right course. And the first thing we can do is humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. It's easy to point fingers. But you know what? Until I start looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to be the difference, I will enact change, nothing's going to change. It's going to continue to be a world that is looking around saying will someone do something no shining the light of Christ starts with me shining the light of Christ starts with you and you're going to look different and that's okay I believe in this coming year, if you want to set your life on the right path, you have to be able to know what it means to set yourself on the right path and following the right pattern. Jesus illustrates this so well in Matthew chapter 21, verse 37. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. You want to be set apart? That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That isn't something, again, you do just by snapping your fingers. It all starts through active obedience and commitment. So as I invite Kelton to come, what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads right now. And I want you to actively seek the Holy Spirit and ask God, reveal in me what I need to commit to. Reveal in me what I need to renounce. Do you hear that, church? Lord, reveal in me what I need to commit my life to, to reflect your son, Jesus, better. Reveal in me what I need to renounce, what I need to remove, what I need to get rid of, what I need to change. Lord, speak right now. God, reveal in us. The things where our, our, our heart grows cold, it's far from you, it's not a great reflection of you, God. We can, we can say we believe in you, God, but do we really live like it on a daily basis? And Lord, I know that you can give us the tools to understand how to change those things. But God, it comes from seeking. It comes from desired obedience, Father. And it comes from a daily commitment to walk in your commands. So Lord, I pray for open hearts. Spirit of God, speak to us right now. What do we need to do to commit to you this next year? Lord, what do we need to remove? And Lord, I I pray that we are men and women of action. Lord, talk is so cheap without it. But we'll commit to doing it, Father. work it starts here but you know to me it's it's utterly pointless until you make the action step of finding someone you trust to talk to about it that might be someone in this room, that might be a phone call that you need to make but I think it's important that you do it I just shared a few moments ago that I believe that this is going to be one of the most challenging years we've ever seen For the church. And are we going to have the strength to stand? And so in light of that, I think we need to commit ourselves, start off on the right foot. And so with that said, I I thought a lot about this, and I'm like, we as a church are going to commit to a 40-day fast. And this week, every week, you know, there are lots of things you can pray and fast for. And I'm telling you, these are the four kinds of fasts you can do. And ultimately, I recommend what I call a regular fast more than anything. You've got a regular fast, a full fast, sexual fast, or the Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast is basically not eating anything nutritious or nourishing. Um, I'm a big proponent of a regular fast. Just drink water. Don't eat. That's honestly the, the number one recommended fast. And We've got 40 days back there on, on uh, paper. And the goal is that we all commit to filling out that calendar. But every week, I'm going to give a focus of what we're praying for what we're particularly fasting for for this week and this week we're praying for our national leaders and our local leaders in the upcoming election my number one goal is to see god glorified would love to see God glorified through our politicians because I'm not seeing any of that just had to go down to the state capitol a couple weeks ago to see what's really being honored let's pray with an earnest heart not with malice or rage or anger Let's pray that God speak to them and God impact them and so that's gonna be this next week and we're actually we'll we'll announce every Sunday what this week's focus is and I encourage you commit to the physical discipline and obedience to fast some of you it might be one meal Some of you, it might be the entire day, a full 24-hour span. Maybe some of you, you say, I'm going to fast breakfast and lunch, and then I'll have a, a dinner. But you're not just abstaining from food. You're praying. You're praying. And so that's what we're going to commit to for the next 40 days. And who would say, just as a moment of affirmation, who would say, Pastor, I'm going to commit to taking at least a day to fast. Okay, okay. So here's here's what we do. This is a great reminder. I don't know if you are like me. I am a person who forgets. We have a sign-up. There are, every day is represented back there on the calendar. You go back there, sign up for a day so we know that day is covered. But that doesn't limit just one person to that day. You hear me? It's just saying, I commit to that day. And then take out your phone. Take a picture of the day that you committed to. Maybe even get out the calendar on your phone and set an alert or a reminder. And I believe if we commit ourselves to this, we are going to see the Lord move powerfully. Who agrees with that? Amen. So that is our action for today. We're not only seeking God, what am I committing to? What am I renouncing? We're setting this year off right. God, I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to fast. I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this service. And God, what you are preparing in the hearts of your people this upcoming year. And so, Lord, I ask that God we will be challenged to do something about this message. I praise you.